So if you guys have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Proverbs 23. And uh, I'll give you guys the verse um, in a moment once you, once you get there. All right. So by show of hands, how many of you guys are dads out there? All right. How many are granddads out there? All right, cool. So, so I'm a good company. So tell me if you guys have heard or played this story out before, right? You wake up in the morning, getting ready to go to work, you're all dressed up, breakfast is going on, the kids are good, mom's good, and all of a sudden you're about to head out the door, and you turn, and one kid's just like throwing up everywhere, right? What do you do? You say, bye honey, pray for you, right? Or you like that dutiful husband who will clean, help clean them up and then be on your way, right? Or you're all dressed to go to work, changing the kid, and they have a blowout and you get it all over your clothes, right? What are the things that, that separate us from just being a regular dad, right? You can teach a kid how to throw a baseball, grill a hot dog, fix a toilet, hang a nail, right? All those things are basically simple most basic functions of what a dad does, right? Or what a father does. But what separates a Christian father from just any other guy who has kids? So let's look at Proverbs 23, verse 26. Just one, real, one verse real quick for this morning's devotional. So Proverbs 23, 26 says, Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. Now, this verse is really similar and sounds silly, similar to what the women are learning in Wall Street, right? The theme verse, which is Proverbs 4.23, says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the, the springs of life. Now, as we've been learning in Build and as we'll continue to learn, the heart is the essential component of the Christian walk, right? It's the well, it's the fountain from which all things flow. And the prime aspiration for a Christian father is this, to aim for the heart's of our kids, right? whatever age they're in, and whatever stage of life they're in. Now, notice in this verse, it says, "Give me your, give me your heart, my son." It's not something that you can force upon, that you can bribe, that you can coerce, that you can that you can manipulate. It's something that has to be freely given. You have to earn it, right? We have to earn the hearts of our kids, right? Now the heart, again, it's that inner person, the thoughts, the desires, the affections, and the will. It's, it's who we are inside. It's the person that God wants to own completely for us as well as for all his kids. And a wise father, a Christian father, wants to aim for that, for the kids to offer their hearts to himself so as well as offer it to our Heavenly Father. So here's an example. How easy is it for us to command obedience for our kids, especially if they're young. You can do a number of things, right? You could say, do this, and if you don't, you're going to get the rod, right? You could say, behave this way and listen to grandma or grandpa, or I'm going to take away your favorite toy, right? Or on a Sunday at church, don't embarrass me, or you're not going to get any treats later, right? Right? clean up your room, I'm going to take away your iPad, 
Nintendo Switch or whatever that function is. Or we could also bribe them, right? And again, tell me, or if you guys have done this before many times in your own lives, please, please behave yourself and you can have that toy, right? Or, and I've heard this lots of times, and we've even thought about it too in our whole household, if you can keep your undies dry, you gotta go to Disneyland, right? Whoa. So, right. <laughs> so in all these ways, <laughs> all right, right? Let's head out after this, right? All these different ways, all these different tools, seemingly benign and innocent, they're really just ways of manipulation and coercion to get what we want by promising something else, right? Or how about this? How much easier is it when you use your dad voice or your authority as a father to get obedience? And how much easier for you, your kids to listen and, and, and follow you rather than mom? And I was like that case in my household where mom may have a whole rough day, whatever, caring for the kids. And I come home, use dad voice, Obedience is like instant, right? Just sheer physical size and your authority. But none of those issues address the heart, right? Because again, these are all just superficial things. In and of itself may seem benign, but as Christian fathers, we have to aim for the heart. That has to be something that, ha that is earned, right? We need to win our hearts of our children. So again, in this verse, it says, Give me your heart, my son. Again, it has to be here. So let me just, uh, briefly give just four quick ways in which we can do that. Right, the first one is we just got to read with our kids, right? Read with them early and often, and I'm not just talking about Thomas the Train, right? Or Sports Illustrated or whatever. Read them the Word, right? Show them Christ through the Scriptures, right? In our household, what we do is we read one chapter of Proverbs a day, right? So today is the 11th. We'll go through Proverbs 11 today, and then we'll just repeat that cycle every month. And as my kids get older, we'll go a little bit more in depth. Right? Show them Christ through the Word. Show them your dependence and your need to understand and to study the Word and to be fed daily from it so that they can see that as well. Just got to pray with our kids, right? Not just for them, but we have to pray with them. Whether it's something simple at dinner time, giving blessings for food, or at nighttime before bed, we just got to pray for our kids. I mean, we, we have to depend on God for everything, for our sustenance, for our daily bread. We just got to show them Christ through that as well. We got to work with our kids, right? We got to encourage them to do household chores, to assist in the family around the house. Could be something simple as cleaning up your toys, taking out the trash, raking up the leaves, whatever. We got to work with our kids. We have to be involved in that part of their lives. Teach them to love each other and sacrifice for the family, just as you do it daily by going to work and providing for the family. We got to play with our kids too. I mean, a study a couple weeks ago done by Time Magazine said, you know the worst type of dad is? It's not the absentee dad or the dad who only spends a small amount of quality time with their, their kids. The worst type of dad is the dad who's physically there, but he's mentally checked out. Right? So here's the example. How many of you guys, when you talk to your wives or anyone else, you got your phone out, just texting the whole time? Right? You're there, but you're not really there. And all of a sudden, you're like, what? what? What did you say? Right? The worst type of dad, again, this is from a pagan study, is the dad, you're physically there, you're present, but you're not really there mentally. You're checked out because you're too busy with your phone, playing fantasy football, <coughs> texting messages, doing work. Right? 
we got to put down our phones, put down the distractions, just play with our kids. You know, whether it's getting down on all fours with our toddlers and doing whatever they want to do, or going to a baseball game, right? Whatever it is, we got to play with our kids. As our children get older, they become less physically dependent on us, but it doesn't make the job any easier, right? They become more and more emotionally dependent as well. So as we go through and as we learn these build disciplines, and as we have been learning, we need to apply that to the home life. And this is one of those theme verses that we can learn from to say that, you know, let's earn our kids' hearts. Let's work at it and let's apply what we've learned towards them. Thanks, guys. We talk about shepherding our heart at Grace Bible Church a lot. If you're newer to Grace Bible Church, you hear that phrase and you hear people use it. They use it pretty easily. They use it pretty often. They use it a lot. Um, What we're talking about here is how we counsel ourselves and what we counsel ourselves with. And this morning we're going to be looking at two ways in which we counsel ourselves. And the first way is when we counsel ourselves with our Bibles open. And then the second way we counsel ourselves is we counsel ourselves in the rest of our day after we spend time with our Bibles open. So let's go to the handout. You should have a long, long page of prose. What that is, is something that one of the elders put together a couple of years ago. And this is very, very helpful in how to prepare our heart for time when our Bible is open. We're talking here in Build about how important it is for us to meet with the Lord. And this is also very important, is how you prepare yourself to meet with the Lord. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read every word of this. We're going to make some observations here. And the idea here is that that we want to be informing ourselves on how we prepare our heart for our time in the Word. We don't just sit down and open our Bible and start ripping through our reading plan. We sit down and we prepare our heart to engage with the Lord. We start with Heavenly Father. We remember who God is. He's in heaven. He's our Father. He's over us. I intend this time in your word to be an expression of worship for you, desire for you, love for you, need of you, dependence on you. Any of this and all of this is only possible through your son, Jesus Christ, who is my savior. I approach you through him, my substitute and high priest, the one whom I love, but have not yet seen. When we sit down and we talk to the Lord, it's very, very important for us to understand that Christ is the mediator. He is the one through whom we actually speak to the Father. This is is very important to understand the role that Christ plays in our time alone in the Word. Then we look at why we're here. I have your Word open before me because you have revealed yourself there more clearly than any other place, and I long to know you better. I desire to see you in all your glory in the pages before me, I simply and humbly draw near to you to study you. Nearness to you through these pages of Scripture is my good. It's good for us to remember that Scripture is what God has chosen to reveal himself to us. We understand his glory, his righteousness, his holiness. We understand that very well when we read God's word. Then we also have to be honest with God about ourselves and our own vulnerabilities. I also have your word open before me because I need to learn more of the nature of my sin and the fallenness before you so that I might better understand what danger I truly was in and what dangers still lurk within me. I need to see both the sin that provoked your righteous wrath towards your son and I need to see your grace that moved you to act as savior towards me in Jesus. If I don't fight to have scripture's view of my sin today, I will easily be duped 
by sin's deception and become unaware of sin's nearness to me. Reading scripture helps us understand how close sin really is to us. Sin really is crouching at our door. I will then be vulnerable to sin's entanglements. Sin at that point can then become familiar to me. I read my Bible so that sin doesn't become familiar to me. Finally, sin can then become a delight to me. And before I know it, I'll be in a position of weakness with sin. I'll be in the fight of my life to be free from this entanglement. If I do nothing today concerning my view of sin, my view of sin will only grow cloudy. So when we don't read our Bibles, we lose sight of what sin really is and how profound an impact it can have on our lives. We want to talk about not only what sin how vulnerable we are to sin, but it's really good for us to understand our freedom from sin as believers in Christ. Your word is open before me so that I might undergird my life again today with your saving heart and motive in the gospel of your son who overcame the penalty of my sin and the power of my sin to enslave me. I need the foundation of your gospel under me clearly so that I can see just how you have equipped me through it to fight against my sin and to fight for obedience to you through Christ. This is really important. We read our Bible so that we can understand what grace has done for the believer. The believer has the ability to walk in newness of life because he's no longer a slave to sin. When you have your Bibles open, make sure that sometime in your year you read through Romans 6 so you can understand that. Where did I leave off? Oh yeah, okay. There are treasures in the gospel of Jesus that I have yet to discover in my own life and I long to find them. If I stagger today under the weight of my sin, the gospel will buoy me and provide me the gospel rest I need. There is a gospel rest for the people of God. Hebrews chapter 4. And if I'm in a moment of gospel growth and success, rehearsing the gospel will lead me to humbly acknowledge that all the credit goes to you, Father. Keeps you humble when you're doing well. Read your Bible. Keeps you humble when you're growing. You're going to grow, and it keeps you humble. We also have our Bible open because it helps us, helps us understand and have a correct view of holiness. I have your word open before me to also study what righteousness and holiness of life looks like for the one who has been made new and a new creature in Christ. The new man, you have created a desire for obedience. And I need to consistently feed those new God-given desires in my new condition so that they grow. Romans 5 tells us that God pours his love into us the agency of the Holy Spirit. And his love is in a person at conversion, but it's the responsibility of the believer to cultivate that and grow that. And the best way to do that is by reading God's word and seeing God's holiness. If I do not study this righteousness and holiness of life and what the blessings of obedience are, I should not expect my desire for obedience to grow. When you read God's word, your desire to obey God's word grows. Indwelling sin will do everything possible to quench that desire. And I can tell you that personally. By your grace and power, as I see holiness of life placed in front of me in the pages of Scripture, I will long to better align my life and behavior with what pleases you. I desire my heart to be full of you because of what these pages reveal about you in all of your triune greatness. I long for you to spill out of me into my home and wherever you lead me today. Where are you going today? You're going back home, going back to a roommate, going back to work, doing something like that. We want God to be, the, be what tips out of us when we rub up against people. 
All who come into contact with me today must interact with a man whose heart has drawn near to you. Their best hope for salvation or for growth in the gospel, if they're a believer, will come from a man who has searched for you in your word and gazed upon your son in the gospel and who walks by your spirit. There's a lot here. These are things you want to be praying before you read your Bible. You want to cover these these concepts and these topics. You don't have time to do this every day in completeness um, all the time. But these are ideas that need to be in front of you when you read your Bible. This is how you prepare your heart to actually engage with God's word. And it, it cultivates a, a proper positioning of yourself under God's word when you're reading it. So um, if you're not in the practice of reading God's word regularly, do that. And if you're in the practice of reading God's word regularly, make sure that you're in the practice also of preparing your heart so that when you do read God's word, it's a fruitful time for you and you're ready to enter the rest of your life when you get up from that chair and um, interact well with those around you. It's really, really good. But we also shepherd our heart when our Bible is closed and we're walking throughout our day. I just want to take a minute to pause and, and tell you that um, the Lord is good and he's kind. And I'm here teaching a lesson on the discipline of shepherding my heart. And this is the lecture. Well, the Lord gave me the lab right before he gave me the lecture this week. Um, three years ago, I, I was teaching this class as well. And, and uh, the very same issue arose that very week I was going to teach a lesson on shepherding my heart. God gave me an opportunity, a big one, to shepherd my heart well. Um, this week I had travel arrangements that didn't work out too well. And I was tempted to listen to myself and to grumble and to complain and do lots and lots of things um, and to inform myself with my own thoughts rather than with God's thoughts. So the Lord is kind and good. And when you teach a lesson on shepherding your heart, he's going to give you the lab first on shepherding your heart. Uh, so the point is, don't teach one of those lessons. <laughs> We're going to leave this lesson out next year. <laughs> yeah, we'll have Eric teaching. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about how you counsel your thoughts. How you counsel yourself, rather. And first we're going to talk about the unbiblical approach to doing that, and that's counseling yourself with your own thoughts. Your own thoughts. All right, and what this has to do with is three things. A desire and a sense of deserving, and a, an action of demanding. Um, we say we desire something, and a lot of times we desire something that's really good. I want to be a man who's more equipped with the word. I want to be a man who's well equipped to provide well for my family. I want to be a man who has space in his life to serve in his church. I want to be a man who, who functions well in my neighborhood. I want to do all of these well. I want to prepare for a ministry opportunity. A lot of times we have desires that are really, really good. They're good desires. They're God-honoring desires. What happens when we're counseling ourselves with our own thoughts is we can do this. We can say, well, I've got a desire, and because that desire is something that's really good, I actually deserve what I desire. And then because I, I feel like I deserve what I desire, I'm going to demand what I desire. It's very important when we think about this that we remember the condition of a believer. If you think about um, the condition of a believer, something that we've talked about, I think from the beginning and build here, is that the believer is actually in a mixed condition. He's no longer completely sinful, and he's not yet completely sinless. He's in a, a process of sanctification. And Galatians 5.17 tells us that the flesh sets itself against the spirit, and the spirit sets itself against the flesh. And those two things are in conflict with one another. And your flesh is going to inform you unbiblically. 
And uh, because of this, we need to be very careful about how we think. And so it's, it's very important that the person remembers that when they're considering of counseling themselves with their own thoughts, that they're actually counseling themselves with their own thoughts of a man who's in a mixed condition, and, and sin is still at work in that man. Um, so what my flesh will tell me throughout the day concerning my desires is, is a lie, and that lie is I deserve what I desire just because it's a good desire. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all else, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we need to be recognizing when it is that we're deceiving ourselves. One way we can tell that we're deceiving ourselves is when we're willing to sin to get what we desire. Because we feel like we deserve it. When I'm willing to fall into sin to get what I desire, that's when I'm deceiving myself. If I'm willing to be impatient when I'm dissatisfied with God's timeline for the events of my life, when I'm willing to be envious when I'm dissatisfied with God's financial provision for me, when I'm willing to be lustful when I'm dissatisfied with God's relational provision for me, that's when you know you're deceiving yourself. When I'm willing to be demanding, when I'm dissatisfied with God's ordained, divinely ordained circumstances for my life. I don't like my circumstances, so I'm going to demand that they change. And the list can go on and on and on. When you find yourself willing to enter into sin to get what you feel like you deserve, that's when you know you're deceiving yourself. And this approach of feeling like you deserve something because that thing that you deserve is good... <coughs> and then demanding it will never leave you to happiness and joy. Instead, it leads to a disappointment. An ongoing disappointment leads to discouragement. An ongoing discouragement leads to despair. And that's what you see if you have the, the spiral diagram in front of you. It starts broadly, and it says, well, there's, there's, there's disappointments, but if you continue in your desire for what the Lord hasn't brought to you, it becomes discouraging. And then it leads a person to a point of despair. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look at several different attitudes and several different actions that are characteristic of a person who's counseling themselves with their own thoughts. And so we're going to start at the top of the diagram and work our way down through several of those actions and several of those attitudes, and we'll look at the attitudes first. The first is the attitude of pridefulness. One way that you know you're starting to counsel yourself with your own thoughts is when you're prideful. Proverbs 28:25 says, An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. It's a man's pride that leads him to believe that he deserves what he desires. His desires, again, are good desires, but it's his pride that leads him to believe that he really deserves it. And so he demands something, and when he demands, he imposes, politely or otherwise, on others, and that imposition on other people eventually causes strife. So you can tell when you're counseling yourself with your own thoughts when pride becomes increasingly evident in your life. And all the strife that goes with it becomes evident in your life. If you think about it, strife and conflict usually follow the proud man. So ask yourself, often am I evidencing pride in my life 
maybe not in a really big, overt, really offensive way, but is it there? Do I evidence it maybe in a more subtle way? Ask yourself that often. Another attitude that is an indicator that you're counseling yourself with your own thoughts is that you're wise in your own estimation. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. We're going to get to this in just a few weeks in church, comma, Lord willing. We've got a few more weeks to go on verses 9 through 13, so hang in there. We're going to get to 16 maybe in about March. Uh, Okay, so this is what the verse says. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. This is very similar to the attitude of pride. The person who's listening to himself has a very high view of himself, and he thinks more highly of his own plans than he thinks about God's plans. And his confidence in his own wisdom makes him think that his desires are beyond the reach of good counsel. Good counsel from God's word and good counsel from other believers. So you can tell when you're counseling yourself with your own thoughts when you increasingly decline and you increasingly ignore the counsel of others and of God's word. Think about this in your marriage if you're married. Um, Think about how it is that sometimes you hear something that's really good from your wife and it just goes in and it goes out the other ear um, and what the reason for that is. Maybe it's not because there's lots of discord in your marriage. Maybe it's just because you think more highly of your own desires and your own estimation of things. God's given you a helper suitable who can serve you well towards that end and who sees your blind spots and the ones that you can't see yourself. So ask yourself, how readily and how easily do I actually listen to and accept the counsel of others? This is hard for me to do, and I have to work on this in my own life. Another evidence or another sign that a person is listening to their own thoughts and counseling himself with their own thoughts. 2 Timothy 3.4, this person is a lover of pleasure. Paul's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he's telling him, look, in the the last times, this is what you're going to see on this earth. And he says, you're going to see people who are treacherous, reckless, conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When we get to the place where we feel that we deserve what we desire, what we've done is we've allowed to let sin take root in our life. Okay, And when sin takes root in our lives, our desires become more selfish and more self-satisfying. And then at that point, it becomes effortless, almost effortless, to run hard after pleasure. It really does. So you can tell when you're counseling yourself with your own thoughts when your desires become increasingly motivated by seeking to please yourself. Same letter, just a few verses earlier. Paul gives Timothy another indicator of when people are beginning to listen to themselves and counsel themselves with their own thoughts. And this is a lack of thankfulness or an ungratefulness. Paul tells Timothy, men will be ungrateful. The man who's listening to himself believes he deserves what he desires, and he can actually become pretty obsessed with that thing that he desires. That can become kind of a focal point in his life where he's laser-focused on that thing, and a lot of his thoughts kind of swirl around that issue to the point where he becomes blind to all of the other blessings that God puts in his life. Pretty regular stuff, but his job, his health, He's got four square walls around him and a roof over his head. He has 
decent transportation, he has decent clothing, he has healthy kids. Um, these are all things that the man who is, is focused on what he desires can become less thankful for. So you can tell when you're counseling yourself with your own thoughts when thankfulness is not a regular part of your life. Thankfulness back to the Lord. So to measure this, ask yourself when you're praying, how often do you thank the Lord for things? We're quick to go to the Lord with our prayer requests, and we should, because Scripture tells us, bring your requests before the Lord. He hears you. He knows you. He knows your situation better than you do. Ask, and you'll receive. You really want that. You want to be doing that. But when the Lord actually answers that prayer, make sure that you stop and you take time to thank him for answering that prayer and bringing you the help and the relief and the aid that you need. Another attitude that that indicates that a person is listening to their own thoughts and counseling themselves with their own thoughts is that person is full of envy. Second half of Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and we know he's helping them understand God's judgment against unrighteousness. And Paul is describing what God has done to the one who, who runs from God and who denies God and denies God's existence. Verse 29, I've got 29 here and 28 here. 28 or 29, God gave them over to a depraved mind to the things which are not proper, being filled with all kinds of evil things. And then at the end of that list, he says they're full of envy. These people are full of envy in verse 29. When you set your heart on something and the Lord doesn't have plans for you to have that thing, whether it's a circumstance or an object or whether it's recognition or whatever else it is, um, and maybe the Lord has plans for somebody else to have that thing that you desire badly, desperately, then it's a very easy matter to envy the person that the Lord showers that blessing on rather than yourself. And that's another one that I know myself. That happens at the workplace all the time in my heart, just to be honest with you. So you can tell when you're counseling with your own thoughts when you find yourself envious of another man's situation. So, so measure yourself there and just ask yourself, you know, am I, do I find myself envying what another guy has? And maybe it's not an overt envy where it manifests itself in some outward outburst or expression, but it's in your heart, it's in your thought process, and it's there regularly and you know it. Be aware of that. And the last one I want to bring before you is hopelessness. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's in the middle of this big explanation of how God saves by grace. He explains that you're saved by grace through faith. And then in verse 10 in Ephesians 2, God says that you are his workmanship and he's prepared good works for you. So there's the idea that God already has in mind things that he's going to do for you. And then Paul is describing to these people what kind of people they were before they knew Christ. And in verse 12, he says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. You were excluded from Israel and you were strangers of the covenants of promise and that you had no hope. And spiritual hope here is the assurance of a certain future event. And that future event is anticipation of life together with Christ when he returns. The believer, the hope that the believer has is Christ is going to return. He is coming to rapture the church away to be with him in the clouds. There is going to be a a time of tribulation on this earth. Christ is going to come down. He's going to overcome all of those who oppose the Jews, and he is going to set up his kingdom, his millennial reign here on this earth. The believer should be anticipating that and longing for that day because it's going to be a much better situation than this day that we're in now. But the man who is increasingly occupied with getting what he deserves 
less and less and less he's looking forward to Christ because he's looking for the thing that he feels like he deserves. And so he's not anticipating Christ. And so he's not living out the hope that he really has. He's longing after things of this world instead of the things of God. And so what is true hope gets replaced by is just an acknowledgement that Christ is coming. Maybe you've got the timeline right. Maybe you've worked out your own theology and, and Christ's return to you is more a thing about getting all the events figured out in time, what happens when and who and what and everything, um, instead of actually being with Christ and Christ taking the church to be with him. So the man who's listening to himself and counseling himself with his own thoughts, he demonstrates a pride and a confidence in his own wisdom and a lover of pleasure. He's in gratitude. He's ingracious. He's full of envy. He's characterized by an absence of hope. Um, it's important that we understand that. Measure yourself by those things because they could reveal um, that you're counseling yourself more often with your own thoughts rather than with God's word. There's some actions that accompany these attitudes. And there's a little bit of overlap here. There's not a strong delineation between attitudes and actions. So understand that as we're going through it. Luke 11:16 talks about how people, when they're counseling themselves with their own thoughts, they become demanding. Um, People were demanding a sign from Christ. Second Timothy 3.2, they become a lover of themselves. Not just a lover of pleasure, but they actually love themselves. This is the natural result of listening to yourself and setting your heart on your own desires. It's that you prefer yourself over others. You know, you actually do love yourself. And those who trust in themselves love themselves above others. Another action is grumbling. And you know when something is coming about in your life that you anticipate and it doesn't work out the way that you, you can, one of the things that we find ourselves actually doing is grumbling about it. The passage here is Exodus 16. Israel has been taken by the Lord out of captivity in Egypt, across the Red Sea. Now they're in the wilderness. They're heading for the promised land, and they're grumbling. They're grumbling because they don't like their circumstances. And... Um, when we set our hearts on our desires, we have no trouble speaking negatively about our situation. We forget all of the blessings that God has put into our lives, and we actually start grumbling. So you can tell that you're counseling your heart with your own thoughts when, if you start listening to yourself, you notice lots of grumbling. Okay. Another is disputing. This is the action that comes out from the man who causes strife when he has the attitude of... Um, preferring himself above others, and strife comes out because of that. What happens and follows oftentimes from strife is disputes with one another. If you find yourself in dispute or conflict with others regularly, that's an indication maybe that you're starting to listen to your own self and your own thoughts. Another one I want to mention to you is, is prayerlessness. Um, the reference here is Joshua 9. Israel is moving on. They're, they're about to enter the promised land, and they've begun the process of, of battles to win the promised land. And the word is getting out that Israel is a strong nation. And uh, the Gibeonites realize that, so they come and they make a deal with Israel. And Israel did not seek counsel from the Lord um, prior to making this deal with the Gibeonites, not to overrun them. Um, because the man who's wise in his own eyes, he thinks he needs no counsel. He doesn't even think he needs counsel from the Lord. Um, biblical principles are brought into focus very clearly when you pray. You, know, you read God's word, and like we mentioned earlier, God is speaking to you. He's revealing himself through your word. 
we pray, we, we're speaking back to God, but we're also counseling ourselves with God's word when we're praying because there's no dishonesty possible with God when you're speaking with God because he sees your own heart more clearly than you see yourself. And so you become very clearly understanding of what is right and what is wrong when you're in prayer. And if you have your mind fixed on what you believe is right and you, you deserve that and so you demand that, what becomes characteristic sometimes is that a person is not going to the Lord in prayer because they know that when they do, um, they might see something that's different what the, from what their desires and their demands are. So prayerlessness can be an indicator that a person is counseling themselves with their own thoughts. And the last one I'm going to mention before you is withdrawal. This is another indicator that a person is thinking a lot about themselves and they're counseling themselves with their own thoughts. Proverbs 18.1, this is something that, that every man should read often. They should keep this in mind. He who separates himself seeks his own desires. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. He who separates himself seeks his own desires. Because he finds himself at odds with what God is accomplishing through other people, because God is accomplishing his will one way or another through the people that he chooses to. When a man sees that God is doing something other than what he desires in his own life, his natural flinch is to avoid those that the Lord appears to be using at this time. So if you notice withdrawal from being characteristic of your life where you're withdrawing from fellowship with other believers, that may be an indicator that you're counseling yourself with your own thoughts. So what can you expect if you continue to listen to yourself? And I can tell you this from my own life. You can expect that there's going to be a spiral of disappointment and discouragement and despair, and it will only continue until you begin to counsel yourself from Scripture. Okay, so that's, um, that's what you don't do. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is to focus on what we should do and how we should counsel our heart. And what we do is we counsel ourselves with Scripture. And there's another formula here, and that is you have desires, but instead of thinking about what you think you deserve, think about what you truly deserve. And the output of that is that you have no demands. Instead of believing that you deserve something, think about what God says you deserve. Proverbs 16.1 The plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The man's plans do belong to him. You make your plans yourself. You sit down, you, you think about it, maybe you talk about it with your wife, if you've got roommates, you talk about it with your roommate, you talk about it with your parents, you have plans about where you're going to go to college and what you're going to do and what sports you're going to do this semester or whatever. Those are your plans. And you can make well-laid plans. They're plans that everybody agrees on. They're good plans. Um, they're plans that we've prayed over together and individually, been surrounded by good counsel. But at the end of the day, the course of events will be those events that the Lord has decreed will come to pass, right? Um, you make good plans. You make great plans. You try really hard. And the Lord is just going in another direction. So you need to submit your desires, your affections, your emotions, and your will to God's predetermined plan in that season or that situation. Proverbs 16.9, just eight verses later, tells us something really interesting. It's a follow-on from that. It says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This is the same idea, except that not only is this speaking to the Lord is eventually going to bring a circumstance to, to come to pass, he's actually speaking here of the steps of your, yourself and your own steps. The Lord describes and determines what is going to take place in your own life personally. So what that means is that we need to let go 
of any desire to control the events of our life. See what the Lord is doing and follow that hard. Make your plans and follow what the Lord is doing. I'm not sure if this is in your outline. Second uh, Corinthians 5.9. If it's not in your outline, write this down. Second Corinthians 5.9. I was thinking about this this week. I was memorizing this verse again. Because when you're north of 50, it's hard to remember those verses you memorized. <laughs> it's like, I knew I used to have that memorized, and I can only remember about half that verse. And uh, Okay, so this is a really good verse. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, a church replete with problems. And he tells them, therefore we, the body of Christ, believers, also have as our ambition to be pleasing to Christ. We have as our ambition to be pleasing to Christ. The Christian, the follower of Christ, seeks to set aside his own desires and to please his master, Jesus. Okay, so you got the idea that the Lord is, the, the believer is, and the follower of Christ who's counseling himself with scripture says, Lord, I want your will to take place, Proverbs 16. And he says, that's what you want, and I want to please you. I want to make it my desire to please you. So how do I counsel my thoughts with what I deserve? Um, what I Throughout the day, how do I counsel my thoughts concerning what I truly deserve? This is a really good passage. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. And this is really, really good to remember what we truly deserve. Because Paul is writing, describing the unbeliever here, he says, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. The believer needs to remember that there was a time when he was stubborn and that the fundamental characteristic of God is God's avenging nature. God is an avenging God. He doesn't let sin go unpunished. So I deserve to feel the full weight of the Father's anger against me. That is what I truly deserve. I do, and I've deserved that my whole life. And I have, no expect, I have no business expecting my desires to be fulfilled. I deserve to be standing on the surface of the sun right now. Standing in a lake of fire, burning iron, 4,500 degrees. I deserve that right now. I truly do. And one day that will come to pass for all of those who reject Christ as their Savior and their Lord. So the believer, when his desires are not met, needs to remember first and foremost, my life today... My situation today, my circumstances today are much better than, than what I deserve. Much, much better than what I deserve. The believer also needs to counsel themselves with Romans 5.9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The believer needs to remember that this is what I deserve, but I have been saved from this. My biggest problem, my liability for my sin before a holy God has been solved. And I have right standing with the Father, before the Father, because of what Jesus did on the cross in my place. We know what took place at the cross. That Jesus suffered. All of our sin was transferred onto Christ. And it became a part of him. First Peter 2 says that Jesus actually bore our sin in his body on the cross. And then he received on himself the outpouring of God's wrath, God's just wrath, God's right wrath for what I did. So it's really, really good when we're thinking about the things that we deserve to remember how it is that we got to the position before God that we have. And the only way we got there is because Christ chose to go to a cross. He obediently followed the Lord's instruction to go to a cross in our place.
And when we get that right, we can, we can be thinking right about what we deserve. We have the right perspective on the things that are in front of us and the things that we, we, we desire in our lives. So how do you counsel yourself throughout your day concerning your perceived rights? Luke chapter 17 is a really good story. Jesus is telling a story in Luke chapter 17. He's giving a, an analogy. He's got a, a slave who's working in the field and the slave comes in and the slave doesn't serve himself after coming in from the, working in the field. He serves his master a meal. He serves his master at the master's table. The passage says, So you too, when you do all the things that are commanded of you, you should say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. The mindset here is that I'm a servant of the Lord. I really don't have the position. I don't have the right to demand circumstances in my life. I'm a servant of the Lord, and he is the one who I serve. He is the one whose will is done. It should be my heart to serve his will and his pleasure. So we're going to look at the other spiral diagram and we're going to look at attitudes and actions that should be in place for the believer. And we're going to start from the bottom. We're going to look at attitudes that characterize the person who is allowing scripture to inform his thoughts. And the first is Hebrews chapter 12. And that is that the believer who's characterizing and and informing himself of God's word, recognizes that he needs strength from the Lord. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The believer acknowledges that life is hard. He's got difficult circumstances that, that are more than he can handle on his own. But he turns to the Lord when his circumstances are, are hard, or not what he desires. He understands that he's an instrument of the Lord's. He's an instrument in the Lord's hands. And he knows that he's incapable of walking through the works that the Lord has prepared for him apart from the Lord's strength. He doesn't think he can do it on his own. He can just run off and hold his breath and run through his day. So he's quick to look to Christ as his example of persevering through to the end of the race. If you have an ongoing situation that's in your life and it's hard, and it's weighty. I heard one today in the conversation I was having today. What people do, what the believer does, is he looks to Christ. Christ persevered until the end for the believer. Okay, So look to Christ for your strength. Recognize that you need strength. Galatians chapter 5. The one who is counseling himself from Scripture, he has an attitude of self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. He understands that the believer is free from sin's power, so he chooses to control his affections and he avoids and denies those things that feed his selfish desires. A lot of times when we have desires, they're good, but there are other times when we have desires that they're not good. The reason why they're not good is because we've allowed our mind to run. We've not used self-control in our own mind. So the one who's allowing Scripture to inform his thoughts is a guy who he has an attitude of being in self-control. He's also joyful. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. It's one of the shorter Bible verses that you can memorize. This is a really good one. You could have this memorized by the time you leave this morning. It's really good. I memorized a verse today. Rejoice always. Because he understands what he truly deserves and that he's been spared from that, 
his baseline emotion in any circumstance, even it's one, if it's one that he wasn't expecting or he wasn't planning for or is really, really hard. His baseline emotion is one of joy because he understands that it's what the Lord brought to him. He's not holding fast to his desires. He's yielding to the Lord. He's joyful that the Lord is bringing about his plan. He counsels himself saying, this is God's plan and it's better than my plan. He's also a man of peace. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. His desires are in alignment with what God has designed for his life and what God has prepared for his life. He doesn't necessarily know what it is. We don't know what we're going to run into today, but our desire is in alignment with what the Lord has planned for us today. And when that's the case, um, you're at peace with God and what God has decreed will take place. So when something comes about in your life that you don't expect, you're at peace with God because you've agreed that, that this is God's purpose and God's plan for your life. So an attitude of peace and a characteristic of peace is what describes a man who's allowing Scripture to inform him. He's also humble. Same passage, Colossians 3.12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He demonstrates his humility by submitting in obedience to God's plans for his life. He doesn't think so highly of himself that he's going to run after and, and strive after and pursue hard what he wants. He's humble and says, this is what God desires and this is what God has decreed for my life. He's content. Philippians 4.12. Here's Paul. Paul's writing from prison. His situation is not an easy situation. He was only serving the Lord. He was serving the Lord through much duress and much hardship and much trial. He's in prison. He's writing to the church in Philippi. In chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every and in any and every circumstance, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Notice what the scripture says about contentment there. It says that it's something that is learned. You don't just go to the store and pick it off the shelf. You don't just pray and all of a sudden you have contentment. Contentment comes from consistently trusting the Lord and believing that his plans and purposes are indeed the best thing for your life. And you can find joy in that, but you can also find contentment in it, knowing that it is what God has decreed is best for you. One other characteristic attitude is that the person is submissive. This is a really good passage, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Because what this does is this brings into view our own plans, but God's sovereign hand. This is a really good passage. And I need to think about this as I think about the next months and years of my life too. This is really challenging. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, and this is, this is key for us, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Notice what's happening at the end of verse, at verse 15, at the end of this passage. The man is saying, I've got these plans, and they're good plans, and they're these big plans to do all this stuff. But this is only going to take place if the Lord actually decides to su sustain my life and preserve my life. Um, I won't be alive tomorrow because of my own will. I'll be alive tomorrow because of the Lord's will. And that is the only way that these plans can come about. 
So the man submits his plans to the Lord. He's got these plans and they're good plans, but he submits them to the Lord, recognizing that the Lord is sovereign over his life. So those are attitudes that, that you display when you're, you're allowing Scripture to counsel yourself. If you find those things present in your life, just excel still more in those things. Those are really, really good things. Then there's some actions that take place. And the first is that a man is prayerful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 It's another one you can memorize really easily. Pray without ceasing. Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray by saying, Your kingdom come, your will be done. A powerful biblical prayer is a prayer when the believer says, Lord, this is the issue. This is my desire in this issue. But I want your will to be done. And I'm praying to you to communicate with you that I do desire your will to be done. His greatest desire is to align himself with God's purpose and will. And he's eager to enter into prayer to fortify his thinking towards that end. Um, when we enter into prayer, like I mentioned earlier, you, you can't be dishonest with God. So you're informing yourself again of God's place in your life. And so the person who is allowing scripture to inform himself about the events of his life and his desires enters into prayer often to fortify himself with biblical thinking about his circumstances. The one who is allowing scripture to inform himself about his plans is also a loving man. Colossians 3, if you, you haven't ever memorized or, or considered closely verses 12 through 16 or 17 in Colossians 3, this is a great place to go if you want to learn about how believers are to interact with one another. We've got a long list of things to do about being compassionate and kind, and we're going to see those in just a second. But Paul says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The natural result of dying to your own perceived rights is to seek the well-being of others around you. That's to love others. You're dying to your own rights and your own self-perceived rights. You love others well by saying, I want to prefer you. We've been hearing that for the last few weeks on Sunday mornings. That person is also kind. In verse 12, in the same letter, just a few verses earlier, a couple sentences earlier, Paul says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of kindness He's willing to give himself up for others because he embraces the Lord's plan for his life. He's willing to be generous with himself. He's willing to give of himself because he understands that it's not about his desires and emotions. It's about obedience to the Lord. He's also forgiving. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The one who's thinking biblically realizes I need to be forgiving. I need to be forgiving. He understands his task is to be an instrument in the Lord's hands for the Lord's purposes. So instead of holding fast to his own rights and his own desires, if a brother sins against him as he is serving, he's eager to reconcile any damaged relationship that would keep him from serving again in the future. He sees himself as a servant. And if anybody does anything against him that makes him hard to serve, he wants to reconcile that quickly. He really does. Another action is he's thankful. If you read verses 15, 16, and 17, you see the, the concept of thankfulness repeated three times. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, singing with thanksgiving. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks 
through him to God the Father. He understands that what he deserves is God's wrath, and so the dominating thought in all that he has is, it's not about my own desires. I should be baseline, I should be a thankful man because God has spared me from what I truly deserve. The last thing I want to put before you is that one who is allowing Scripture to counsel themselves and to inform themselves rather than letting his own thoughts inform himself is he's a patient man. You just think about this. Um, when you've agreed that God's will is going to be the thing that takes place in your life, you're willing to wait instead of pressing hard for what you feel like you deserve. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because he's convinced of the wisdom of God's plans, and he knows that those plans will come to pass in the Lord's perfect timing, not in your own timing, but in the Lord's timing, he waits upon the Lord for whatever the Lord has prepared for him. So these are some actions that go with attitudes of a person who is allowing Scripture to inform his thoughts. So the issue of shepherding your heart has a lot to do with whether you allow yourself and your own thoughts or whether you allow Scripture to inform you. And what you will find is that there is joy and there is peace and there is contentment in trusting the Lord, humbly of believing that he does have a plan for your life that is the very, very best plan for you. Um, it it's involves remembering that today, God's plan for you and your circumstances today are actually the very, very best thing that God has planned for you, even if it's something that we don't prefer or we don't desire, even if it's messy or it's dirty. Um, so I hope that that's helpful to you guys. I hope that it, it helps you think carefully about how to shepherd your heart and puts a little bit more flesh on the bones of what we mean when we say shepherding your heart. I hope that's helpful. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these men. I thank you for your goodness and your grace and your kindness to bring us all here this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word, Lord, is a much better counselor to us than we are to ourselves. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for these men, for these dear brothers. I pray that you would grant us all your grace. You would grant us familiarity. You would grant us depth of understanding of your word so that we can use your word to inform our thoughts in our lives. Lord, would you kindly show us where it is where we've leapfrogged over your word and, and trusted in ourselves in the way we think. Lord God, I pray that because of this, Grace Bible Church and the families represented in Grace Bible Church and the marriages that are represented in those families would be stronger and our gospel witness would be better. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.